Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18, we'll read responsively. You begin with me, and then I'll read every other verse. We'll read every other verse together, ending together on verse 18. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, the Word of God says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And together, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we turn to your word today for guidance, for strength, for healing, and we're glad to have uh, your word with us. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to each heart here today. We're going to talk about you and your church, and we're thankful that we have one. We pray that it would always and ever be what you would want it to be, and that your people would understand what the church is, why it's here, and have a heart for it, and to love it. And Lord, we thank you for who you are to us, being our Savior, for saving us. We pray if there's someone here not sure they're going to heaven today, today would be the day of their salvation. We pray you do your work in the heart of each person, whatever the need may be. And Lord, glorify yourself in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. These verses are just powerful verses. Jesus here talking with his disciples came to the crux of the matter. Who am I? And he said, who do other people say that I am? Well, some say this, some say that. But you know, it doesn't matter what other people say about Jesus. It matters what you say about Jesus. And salvation isn't believing a creed. It's believing the gospel. It's accepting Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a payment for your sin. And so Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter here with this remarkable revelation, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commends him, but also reminds him, Peter, you didn't get this from your own wisdom or your own intelligence. This was revealed to you by God, the Father. And then Jesus begins to talk about something very special, something that hadn't really been talked about much, and that is the church. I will build my church. And that word my shows possession. My church. The church is the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about a church as belonging to God. This is the house of God. This is God's place. 
And so I love the fact that the Bible teaches us beginning here, but then all throughout the New Testament about the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to just go through the scripture this morning and remind us of some things, perhaps teach us some things about the church of Jesus Christ. If you remember, the Old Testament foreshadowed the truths that are revealed in the New Testament. Old Testament prophecy foretold of the coming Messiah, the millennial reign, end time events, but they missed some things. There were some things that were more clearly talked about in the Old Testament and some things were just foreshadowed and the Old Testament scholars overlooked. And we've talked before about the mountain peaks of prophecy, how they could see certain things, but there were certain valleys in their vision that were there and revealed uh, in part, but they were still mysteries. And although the church was shadowed in the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament prophets missed the church age between the arrival of the Messiah and his millennial reign. You see, the, the Jews thought that when the Messiah came, he would immediately start reigning on earth. They wanted a political savior, not a spiritual savior. They wanted an earthly king, not a heavenly king. And in part, that's one reason why they moved uh, the, the Pharisees moved the crowds against Jesus, crying, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted an earthly king. Jews today that don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they are still looking for a Messiah to come and set up his earthly kingdom. And I fear that many of them, as the scripture says, are going to be deceived by the Antichrist when he comes because they're looking for that type of savior. But the Old Testament talked about the church in shadows. The Old Testament tells us that Gentiles would be brought into the congregation of the Lord. The Old Testament told us that Gentiles, some of them, as soon as they heard about him, would believe in him. And so they just didn't understand the fulfillment of it through what we know as the local church. The church was a mystery. Ephesians 5.32 says this, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so what was a mystery to Old Testament saints, now we are living out in the church age. Hey, I'm glad we're living in this age. I'm glad that we have a local church we can go to. We don't have to travel to Jerusalem and worship at a temple. We don't have to. You didn't have to get up this morning and slaughter some animals and, and uh, uh, perform certain sacrifices. I'm glad I'm a gospel preacher and not a temple priest. I mean, the temple priest was basically a butcher covered in blood and guts all day. I mean, it was, a, it was a nasty job as they bore the sins of the people. But see, we, we are freed from all that because Jesus Christ has come, fulfilled the law, and we get the privilege of living in this wonderful church age. We have a church family, a called-out assembly in our local community that we can come and worship together and serve together and provoke one another unto love and good works as the Bible has commanded us. I'll just tell you, I love church. I love church. Uh, and, and when you study the Bible, you find out that God intends the local church to be the focal points of our lives as we serve Him. The church is the focal point of life. Back in days gone by, the church was the focal point of an entire community. But it should always be the focal point of the life of the Christian. I ask you this morning, what do you know about the church of Jesus Christ? What could you tell us about what the Bible says about the house of God? What do you know about the church? 
Can you tell us how Jesus feels about the church? Do you know what a church is supposed to do? You see, a lot of people don't know these answers. And I'll just have to be blunt with you folks. There are a lot of churches either in our town, in our state, and around our country that have a sign out front that says church on it, but they're no more a church than my garage. They're no more a church than the Moose Lodge or the Elks Lodge. A church is not meant to be a social club. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And sinful men have taken God's church and molded it and shaped it into what they want it to be rather than retaining what God's original intention was. And at Curtis Corner Baptist Church, it's our intention to keep church the way God said to do it. It's not mine to tinker with. It's not yours to change. He gave us a guide. This is the church of Jesus Christ, not the church of Paul Chapman, not the church of you. And here's an important difference we have to understand. This church, Curtis Corner Baptist Church, should be your church by relationship. I mean, you ought to own that. This is my church. I go to that church. When I go to church, I'm going to that church. I'm not looking for another one. Uh, matter of fact, uh, if, when, I, when, I, when I give my tithes and offerings, it's going to be there. When I work in a ministry, it's going to be there. When, when I go to worship, it's going to be there. That's my crowd. That's my family. So we all ought to have a local church that is ours by relationship. But it's not ours by ownership. It's God's by ownership. He owns it. We are the stewards of it. Some people today don't value church. Many people don't value church. Think of all the people in our community today that aren't in church. They've got reasons. Well, I work, I work a lot. Well, so do you and I. You know, I've got, I got to go shopping sometime. So do you and I. Well, I've got to mow the lawn. My grass grows. You know, I got, I got stuff to do. You know, the kids are busy. I got I to gotta do this or that. The truth is, going to church is not about time. God's given us all the same amount of time. It's about values. And it's about priorities. And there are many of you here today that sacrifice to be here. I mean, it's not easy for you to be here. We've all got other things we could do. But we come because church is important. And this is the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, boy, let me just warn you parents. Well, we got football season coming up and we're going to have bus kids that before you know it, well, we can't ride the bus right now because we have peewee football. And so you'll have four and five year olds out trying to play football together as if that's more important than God's house. We'll have kids saying, and by the way, when did football on Sunday become a thing? When did baseball on Sunday become a thing? You know, kids t-ball on Sunday we got to put we got to put our little kid and let him hit a uh, let him hit a ball off a tee. There's nothing wrong with that unless you're doing that in place of the Lord. And we live in a culture that values sports more than they value the things of God. They value their possessions more than they value the things of God. And so many people today don't value church at all, but church must be important to us as Christians because it's important to God. Church is important to me because it's important to my savior. You know, there's a lot of things I couldn't care less about, but my wife likes them. And I'm a smart man. I chose to like them a long time ago. Amen? You just choose to like them. And there are things that with God, that, that we, they're important to us because they're important to Him. And we have to choose because of our love for Christ. We're going to say, hey, Lord, what's ever important to you, that's important to me. And church is one of those things. Let me make this statement, and I want you to never forget it. There is no precedent in the Bible 
for Christians living a life pleasing to the Lord apart from the local church. People say today, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. And my answer is, that's true, but you can't be a good one. You don't get saved by going to church. You get saved by putting your faith in Jesus. But if you want to be a good Christian, you do have to make church a priority. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 talk about holding fast a profession of faith and our profession not wavering. It is impossible to be a strong Christian and not put a priority on church attendance. It is impossible. Let me tell you something. Uh, God has used church to change my life. I'm a better man because of church. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. You think I'm lousy now. You should have saw me before Jesus got a hold of me. I mean, I was a mess. But God has changed my life, and He's done that through the church. He's done that through preaching. He's done that through the testimony and model, uh, modeling of good Christianity from men and women in my past. Church is vital to the life of the Christian. There is no precedent in the Bible for Christians living a life pleasing to the Lord apart from the local church. And so now we talk about the church of Jesus Christ. We look at verse 18, and I love this. Jesus said uh, unto Peter, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Let me say, number one, we mentioned the history of the church. The history of the church. The church was not founded by men. It was not man's idea. It's not a man-led organization. It was the idea of God, the heart of Jesus Christ to start the church. It was his idea, and Jesus Christ founded the church, and he said, I will build my church. This is so important we understand this. You know, the Catholics get this, church, get this verse wrong, and they will say that, that uh, Peter was the first pope, and Jesus was saying that you're Peter, and upon the, you, I'm going to build my church. That's not what the verse says. The Bible never said that God was going to build his church. Christ was going to build his church upon Peter. Matter of fact, listen, I'm a man myself. Men will fail us. It is a foolish thing to put your confidence in mankind. The arm of flesh will fail. God knows men better than you. He's the one that said, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He was the one who said, uh, the, the arm of flesh will fail and not to put your confidence in men. He wasn't saying, I'm going to build my church upon a man. He was saying, I'm going to build my church upon me. And there's a play on words here that's very important. So notice here he says, thou art Peter. The word Peter there speaks of a small stone or a small rock. And then he says, but upon this rock, that's a different word. That means the rock, the big rock. And so when Jesus here, this was very clear to the disciples as he was teaching. He said, Peter, you're a little rock, but upon this rock, upon me, I will build my church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It wasn't founded by simply a charter. It was not created through a legal document, but rather it was purchased by blood. Look at Acts chapter 20. Let's look at a few scriptures here today. Acts chapter 20. You say, well, how much, how much does Jesus love the church? What, what's Jesus think about the church? It cost him everything. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, speaking here to other preachers, 
He said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. See, God purchased the church with his blood. This wasn't a legal document. This wasn't an incorporation that you send into the state. This was a spiritual purchase of blood where Jesus Christ physically came to earth and born of the virgin. He lived physically on this life, the creator of heaven, robed in the flesh of man. He lived a perfect life. And when the time came, he sacrificed his perfect body on the cross as a man for sinful mankind so that we could be set free. We owed a debt that we could not pay, but yet Christ paid that debt for us. If you owed a bill to the, to the electric company, and we've done this many times over the years, people owe a bill to the electric company and they're getting their electric shut off. And we, we are able to help them from time to time. Do you think the electric company cares who writes the check? They just want their money. And you and I owed a sin debt that had to be paid, but we couldn't pay it. But Jesus Christ said, I so love the world that I'll give myself so that whosoever believes in me should not perish but have everlasting life. And He paid our debt for us. So if we accept His payment for sin, our sin debt is paid, we become His children and the, the children of God and heaven becomes our eternal destination. That's pretty good news. This was a purchase of blood. You know, how much do you value something? Well, it depends on what you're willing to pay for it. And the more you're willing to pay for something, the more precious it is. Well, what would you pay everything for? What in your life would you give your own life for? Very few things. My wife, my children, a dozen donuts. I mean, there's all kinds, but there's very few things. Allie's donuts, not Dunkin' Donuts. Don't be blasphemous. We're talking about Allie's here. And so I don't know what they put in that cream that they put on there. But man, when I get an Allie's donut, I eat it from the top down. I don't eat it from the side in. I eat it from the top down. A lot of times I'm just left with the bottom of a donut. And so I don't know what they put in that stuff. But man, hallelujah. Uh, And so there's very few things we'd give everything for, but Jesus gave everything for the church. So we see the history of the church. How can we, how can we love the church of Jesus Christ? How can we, how can we esteem it like he wants us to if we don't even understand why it's here? It's here because it was founded by Christ and he paid it with, for it with his blood. He paid for us with his blood. Let's look at number two, the head of the church, Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. Brother Pash is doing a series on Colossians in uh, Sunday school. And that's a good series. I love this book. I'm actually reading this book the last couple of days uh, as part of my Bible reading. And a fascinating, wonderful, wonderful truths in here. And so we see that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And he, that's Christ, is the head of the body. What's the body? The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. See, church isn't about you. Church isn't about me. It's about Jesus. And when a church stops being about Jesus, it stops being a church. 
And so we have to make sure that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one in our lives and in church. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. The Word of God says this multiple times. We'll just look at, at two of them. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. The Word of God says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now I want you to look at me. We are an independent Baptist church. What's that mean? We're not part of a denomination. We're not part of the American Baptist uh, Convention. They're dead. We're not part of the Southern Baptist Convention. They're worldly. We're not part of all these other uh, conventions out there. We are an independent Baptist church, and one of the Baptist distinctives is the autonomy of the local church. We believe, and the Bible teaches, that each church is self-governing, and they answer only to God. And so, uh, praise the Lord for that. We're an independent church. We don't have somebody, a pope, uh, some denominational head telling us what we have to do. Uh, We decide with the leadership of God among our congregation. We've already talked about Peter wasn't the first pope. And let me say this, Baptists aren't Protestants. Baptists didn't come out of the Catholic Church. A Protestant is someone that protested and came out of the Catholic Church. Baptists aren't Protestants. When they say, uh, you know, if I have to ever fill out a form and, and they ask about religion, are you, are you a Catholic, are you a Protestant, are you a Buddhist? I always write in, I'm a Baptist. Because we're, we're not Protestant. There has always been a line of believers that have believed a set of distinctives called Baptist distinctive. Some of them believed all of them. Some of them believed some of them. But when you look at church history from the time of Christ and you study church history and denominations and the Catholic Church itself started about 313 A.D. and then you see all the splits off over that over time, there is an unbroken line from the time of Christ until today of people like you and me that have believed the same thing, the same way about who Jesus is. They've been called many different names over the years. Sometimes they were called after their leaders, the Paulinsians, the Waldensians. Sometimes they were called after the areas of, of where they were in the world. Uh, sometimes they were called Anabaptists. Matter of fact, that was given as a, a, a mean name uh, by people because they, the, the Catholic Church was frustrated that we would rebaptize uh, converts. And so they would baptize babies. And a matter of fact, if you study church history, uh, it was a law that your babies had to be baptized. Because they thought that baptism secured your place in heaven. And since the government and the church became one, they mandated how in the world could a parent let their kids go to hell. So we are going to make sure your kids get baptized. And if they don't, we'll punish you and perhaps even take your children from you. We've got to baptize your children because that's how you get your sins forgiven. It's not how you get your sins forgiven. You get your sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. And matter of fact, back when they would persecute Baptists, often they would do it in a mock baptism ceremony as they would drown someone by capital punishment pretending to baptize them. Because they were so frustrated that whenever a Baptist like us would lead someone to the Lord, we would say you need to get baptized by immersion after salvation because that's what the Bible teaches. So I say all that to say that if we don't have the history of the church right and we don't understand who the head of the church is, then we can't possibly see our church as God wants us to. Our church is led by Christ. He is the head. And the church is served by the under-shepherd as he leads in the stead of Christ, as Christ leads us all. We saw the history of the church, the head of the church. Let's look at the heart of the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. And I know for some of you this is brand new. 
Some of you new Christians, some of some of you visitors, perhaps this is brand new. You've never heard stuff like this. Your head might be going, what's this weirdo talking about? Has he ever read a history book? Yes, I have. The right ones. And uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions you have later. But I'm teaching you the truth about why our church is the way it is and why we do church and what the church is. All right, so we see the heart of the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And all the women said amen, right? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And I want you to notice that Christ loves the church. Did you know Jesus loves the church? I mean, he loves it. He loves it. How much did he love it? He gave himself for it. Let me ask you a question. Do you love church? There's people here for all different reasons. I don't know your reasons. Some of you are here because you just love coming to church. I mean, you look forward to it all week. It's like a, a drink of cold water in, in a desert. It's like a, a breath of fresh air as, as you go through your week. I mean, it's like you just try to get to church. You try to get to church. Praise God for that. Some are here because you feel obligated. I don't know who you are. Some are perhaps here because your parents made you come. That's a shame. Folks, when you understand that your Savior, the one who died on the cross to make sure that you don't go to hell for eternity, when you understand, he says, I love church, and I want you to love church. Boy, it just changes things. I love church. Now listen, why don't people love church? Perhaps it's because they've got way too much world in them. I'm not getting up here rapping, although I could. I could break it down right now, a little freestyle. I'm not up here doing that. I'm not up here rocking out with a flying V guitar. I could. Don't tempt me. We're singing the hymns of God. We're preaching the Word of God. I hope you're getting the point that this service is about God. It's about God in a very simple way. And sometimes we've got so much world in us that if it's not making us feel good, if it's not giving us goosebumps, if there's not lights and smoke and all this kind of stuff and loud music and games and, and, and you know, we're not up here playing Wheel of Fortune asking spiritual questions. I mean, whatever. Man, we could do all kinds of things to get your attention. That's not what church is. And so there's a part of you called your flesh that longs to be stimulated and to feel good. But there's a part of you, if you're saved, called your spirit that needs to be fed with the milk and the meat of the word. And that part of you loves the things of God and the flesh hates the things of God. And you will enjoy this service and you will enjoy every church every single week based on Who's the most powerful in your life? Is your spirit more powerful in your life? Is that the one that's leading you? Or is your flesh leading you in your life? If you are a fleshly Christian, or if you're an unsaved Christian, church makes no sense to you. But if you're choosing to try to follow Jesus and be spiritually led, I love church. A part of me loves church. And so we see the heart of the church. Look back at... um, Turn back to Matthew chapter 28. As you're turning there, I'll just mention number four, the help of the church. See, Jesus Christ is the help of the church. He didn't leave our church helpless. 
Listen to the verse again, Matthew 16, 18. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Boy, I love that verse. You know, gates are defensive. Uh, If you have uh, something that you're trying to protect, or if you have a fence in your yard, there is a gate, but that's you keep that shut to keep things out or to keep things in. And the Bible here talks about the gates of hell. So in the kingdom of Satan, he's got protection set up to try to keep the lost people in and try to keep the things of God out. Well, the the promise to the church is not that God would protect the church from hell, but that God would give the church power to overcome the gates of hell. That we literally, God has given the church spiritual power to march into the devil's territory, break down his defenses, and snatch souls as brands pulled out of a fire. And that's what we do through soul winning. That's what we do through bus ministry and through nursing home services and jail ministry and all of these things. We are literally marching into the devil's territory. Maybe he's had a home forever. Maybe everybody's lost and Satan doesn't want people to get saved. But the church and the power of God and the soul winner can break down that, go in there, give the gospel, and we see people come to Jesus. We go into the prison and boy, you talk about a dark place. One of our men here works in the prison. I mean, it is a dark place spiritually. I had a man years ago when I was in prison. He said, Pastor, he said, I've worked in the prison my whole life. He said, it is so dark spiritually. He said, there are some sections of this prison that I walk in. And as a Christian, I just feel my spirit pulled down. He said, it's not uncommon for for, uh, uh workers here and guards and other people to get in trouble themselves or to end up losing their marriage or get cynical or discouraged. He said, it is a dark spiritual place. And he looked at me and he said, pastor, he said, thank you for bringing the light of the gospel into our prison. Now see, we can literally walk in there and take the gospel and it has power. Satan has no defense against Christ. Satan has no defense against God. But see, so many churches, when we forget this, we cower. We want to batten the doors and say, oh, we just better, let's just hold out until Jesus comes. Let's just hold strong until Jesus comes. No, we're not to cower in the corner. We are to go out and march into this world and do the work of God. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. If we're not doing it, then it won't get done. Let's not live as powerless, but let's live with the power that God's appointed unto us. Look at Matthew chapter 28, continuing this idea. We know this is the Great Commission, but look at verse verse 18 is often overlooked. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19, Go ye therefore. Jesus didn't send us as whimpering puppies into the, the lion's den. He sent us with His eternal power. I have all power in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. He said, I am delegating my power to you so that you can go into this world and do my work. Is that how we live? Do we wake up every day saying, I'm not going to cower as a Christian. I'm not going to run into the closet as everybody else is running out. I'm not going to hide my Bible and, and, and not let my neighbors know I go to church. I'm not going to j- just do the best I can. I'm going to live as a spiritual warrior in this world. Not fighting with guns and knives and the fleshly weapons of war, but fighting with the spiritual 
weapons of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the love of God, prayer. It does make a difference. How many of us in this room, all of us at one time or another, were lost? And God kicked down the gates the devil had around our lives and reached in and helped pull us out of the mess we were in. Aren't you thankful for that? We get the opportunity to do that for other people. And I love Psalm 40. He lifted us up out of a miry pit, set our feet upon a rock and established our goings and put a new song in our mouth. That's the new life. That's the new birth. Let's not live as if we're still in the pit. Let's live as children of God. He's the help of the church. Amen. And then we see the heading of the church. Look at verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is the Great Commission. God gave us a heading. We live in a, a nautical community, an ocean community. And by the way, I love the ocean. I had someone recently tell me, why don't you move back out to the Midwest? And I literally laughed at them over the phone. After I got done laughing, I said, why? They said, well, our our church is without a pastor. And uh, uh, we'd love to have uh, somebody like you, the the inference. And it wasn't an official thing. It was just in the by. But I thought to myself, well, I can't take the ocean with me. I can't. Not to mention, I love this church. I love this area. We're not looking for anything different. Man, I love where we live. I love where God's called us. But we live in a nautical community, and I love, I often drive past the ocean if I am looking for a, uh, if I'm down anywhere near Narragansett running errands, I usually try to just swing over by the ocean. I roll all my windows down, I'll drive by slow. Breathing in the air, people behind me honking, eh, eh, hurry up, you weirdo, you know, I'm just driving along, <laughs> enjoying the, uh, the ocean breeze over there. I love it. But, you know, if you're out and you get away from the land and you're out in the ocean and you have zero reference, you better have a heading. You better have a direction or you'll just be floating around forever. And I'm thankful that God has given the church a heading in the crazy waters of this world with all of the confusion and the pulls and the push and the pull and the storms of popular culture God has given us a heading and said this is what I want the church to do this is where I want the church to go and that is to go after sinners we're to go into all nations teaching that's why we have soul winning programs and outreach ministries that's why we support church planners and missionaries because the goal is to get the gospel out again the church is not a social club although it does provide for the social needs of the church and we can't live a godly Christian life without it. But at the same time, we are to go get sinners and help them get connected to the church of Jesus Christ where they live. We're to go after sinners. You know, when a church stops preaching the gospel, they're dead. But when a church stops going outside the doors after sinners, they're almost dead. They're one step away. And I encourage our church, as busy as we are and with all the pressures of life, we can never stop going after sinners. You say, I don't have time. Well, there's people probably where you work. There's people where you get gas. There's people at the the restaurants where you go. 
Go throughout all your day. Just take, stop by and take tracks with you. Empty the track rack. Put them in your car. Have a New Testament with you. Put a New Testament in your lunchbox. All of those things. But the Christian should be of the mind that, that and, and listen, I know some people say, Preach, I'm scared to death. I'm so scared to talk to people. I'm so shy. I understand that. But beg God for boldness and say, Help me spread the good word about what God's done for me and my family. Take the gospel. And then the goal is to set aside time for a soul-winning time to where you make sure you're putting it as a main event on your calendar every week. We see the heading of the church. I just say quickly about this heading of the church that there's all kinds of different churches you can go to in this world. All kinds of different churches. We don't choose a church based on how comfortable we feel or based on whether we like the programs, we choose a church based on are they telling me the truth from God's Word? So many people choose a church based on the music. They choose a church based on, well, that's where my family goes, or, well, that's the the church that's closest to my house. What terrible ways to pick a church. Would you go to a restaurant that's got rats running around your feet because it's close to your house? Well, I don't want to drive all the way to McDonald's. If you're driving to McDonald's, you've got problems anyway. Amen. Less breakfast. They do have pretty good breakfast. But I digress. And, uh, you know, th- there's a real nice restaurant a little bit further down the road, but no, I'm going to go to the one with roaches because it's not worth the drive. No, we don't, we don't make decisions like that any way else in our world. But for some reason, when it comes to spiritual things, we give God our leftovers instead of our best. And the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus gave his best for us. We ought not give him our leftovers. But see, we're a Baptist church. That means we believe in the Baptist distinctives. There's eight vital truths that make the difference between us and other types of churches. We're a a fundamental church. That just means that we believe the fundamentals of the Bible. We're not going to argue over here whether Jesus was a sinner, whether Jesus really rose from the dead. Did uh, Did Jesus really die or did he swoon? We're not arguing over that kind of stuff. It is settled. We believe what the Bible says. Not based on blind faith, but God has given us more than enough evidence in His Word, in creation, and right here in my heart. The Spirit's born witness with my spirit. But that's, that's the direction. We're not going worldly. We're not going to put a mosh pit right here where the, the, the altar is. And about halfway through my preaching, I jump on the mosh pit and they're carrying me around as I'm preaching about Jesus. We're not going to do that. Maybe for a special event, but not every week. We're not going to know. We're not, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to keep it about Jesus. And so, uh, so many alternatives out there. People are trying to find a new way to do church. We don't need a new way to do church. We need to get back to doing it God's way. And that's the heading we're at. And then we say, lastly, look at Titus chapter 2. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Let me warn you, some people don't want a church like I'm talking about. Matter of fact, our church has helped build all the other churches, or many of the other churches in town. Because we win them to the Lord, and then they've either got people pulling them that way, or they're like, well, I I want a church where there's no expectations. I want a church where nobody's going to make me talk about my sin. I want a church where they kind of tickle my ears. We've got people all over churches, all over South County, that were won to Christ here or, or brought back to God here, and that's okay. But see, we can't change the church to please the masses because then we don't please Him. And the ministry and and God's work is about pleasing Him. And see, as a preacher, you have to understand that sometimes I have to get up and preach things that people don't like 
even good people. But I have to preach it in season and out of season. But when I preach, I'm not looking out and saying, oh, is, is, is he okay? Is she okay? Is he okay? Oh, I just said something, and, and, and they made a face. So I, I take that back. And uh, you can't do that. The truth is a preacher has to draw a circle around himself and preach for an audience of one. And there's been times that, not today, this is, this is for our church, this is pretty basic stuff. Uh, but, but for, there's been times when I've had to get up and preach stuff and you walk out of the, the pulpit and you're like, Lord, I didn't make a bunch of friends today. But as long as he can look down at me and say, well done, my son. That's what it's all about. And there's other times in your life where if you're not careful, you'll try to make everybody else happy. But you get a scowl from heaven. No, you know better. You've got to learn to live for him, amen? Personally and as a church. Let me show you this last one. And we'll be done. Titus chapter 2. I love this. We see the hope of the church. Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Amen. Anybody can get saved if they want to. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure you're saved, let me give an invitation to you. Today's a day where we can take the Bible, show you what it means to put your faith in Jesus. You can walk out of here knowing that you and God are okay, knowing that the guilt and shame of your sin is gone and that you are a new creature in Christ. You have a new beginning. Why in the world wouldn't you take God up on that offer? Look at verse 12 teaching us so this is the grace of god that brings salvation the grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world see that that verse is totally against a lot of mainstream christian teaching they'll say well we're under grace so we don't care about all that how you live stuff as long as we talk about jesus nothing else matters no this verse tells us that the same grace that allows us to get saved teaches us that we have to deny sin and worldliness and live soberly. But look at verse 13. And here's where we end today. Looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You know there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back to this earth and rescue all of us. It's the hope of the church. I'm glad that I got saved at the Blessed Hope Baptist Church in Jasonville, Indiana. The blessed hope was important to my pastor. And whenever I'd sit back there and, and listen, I got saved as a teenager, rode the bus off and on, you know my story, but uh, got saved as a teenager. And, and right behind the, the, the pulpit, there was, uh, it said, looking, looking for that blessed hope. And every week I was reminded that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Let me tell you, friend, when things get tough, and they will, and life gets difficult, and it will, one of these days it's all going to be over. Some of you struggle so bad with health problems. I mean, you, you, you're sitting here today in church and you hurt. Your feet hurt, your muscles hurt, your joints hurt, your back hurts. Perhaps it was a more effort than anybody could ever understand just for you to get to the property and get in the building today. Well, one of these days when we go to heaven, you're going to get a new body and all those pains will be gone. Isn't that good news? Some of you are facing such financial difficulty. I mean, just literally having the gas to drive home or, or to, to eat this week is a challenge. Well, Jesus is going to take all that away because there's no mortgages in heaven, no taxes in heaven. 
no bills to pay. Some of you have incredible stress from relationships in your life. Marriages of relationships that are blowing up, children that are breaking your heart, problems at work, problems with family, problems in the... See, folks, even as Christians, God didn't promise that life would be easy, but He promised that He would never leave us or forsake us. But one of these days, one of these days we're going to see Him face to face. And all those worries will be gone. I think about my wife, and I watch her go through more pain than I've ever seen a human endure. Not for days, not for weeks, years. And I watch it, and I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it. She looked at me a few weeks ago with just her face drawn, and we were laying in bed at night, and she was just laying there looking at me. I could just see the pain on her face. It had drawn her face, and I could see it in her eyes. And she just looked at me, and she said, It's relentless. It just never, never stops. And I said, I know, sweetie. And sometimes I can comfort her by holding her or rubbing her, but sometimes due to certain types of nerve pain, her skin will feel like it's on fire and I can't touch her. But you know, one of these days, God could heal her right now. I tell him every day, you could heal her right now without breaking a sweat. I mean, my phone could start buzzing right now and she could be at home jumping on the bed or see her running up the ramp over here and running in the back and and I'd, I'd make me happy. For some reason, God's called her to this furnace of affliction. And not for naught. We don't question Him. It's not for naught. We're learning that God is using that pain and suffering in our lives and in our church and in other ministry opportunities that perhaps wouldn't be here. We don't question God, but we do ask for deliverance. But one of these days, perhaps even today, Jesus is going to step out onto the clouds and say, come home, my children. And all pain will be gone. Isn't that amazing? The hope of the church. Don't ever get so bogged down in this world that you forget that you're going to a heaven where none of that exists. No pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no problems. I think about the song, It Will Be Worth It All, when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Isn't that good? He's the hope of the church. This, my friend, is the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the scriptural reminders today. Oh, how we thank you for the church. Thank you for our salvation. But Lord, the church is a wonderful gift to us here on this earth. Churches aren't perfect. They're filled with saved sinners. How could they be perfect? But Lord, what a wonderful gift Thank you that you are the head of our church, the heart of our church. You've taught us your history. You've given us a heading. You're the hope. 
Lord, you are a wonderful Savior to us. I pray that in these last moments that you would do your work. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. At our church, at the end of all of our services, we give something called an invitation. It's a moment for you to just be quiet and see what the Lord would have for you. Is there a decision you need to make? Is there a change that needs to take place? Do you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven? Would you like to know more about the gospel? Have you been saved but not baptized? Perhaps you are saved but haven't been following the Lord closely. Perhaps church hasn't meant what it should to you. Whatever's going on in your life, it could be something totally unrelated. Now's the time to take a moment and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be different? What can I take with me today that's going to enrich my life and make me more like you? In just a moment, the piano will play, we'll stand. Christians may come forward to pray. If you're not sure you're saved, we invite you to take a step of faith out into the auditorium or out towards the front as others come forward and let us take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. But all of us, let's seek the mind and heart of Christ at this moment. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open.